Well, thank you, Nathan, and the worship team. Uh, we're so glad that you led us into the presence of God. I remember a chorus that we used to sing um, when we talked about the holiness of God. It used to go like this. When I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you. And they said, I worship you, I worship you. And we used to sing that song, and the presence of God would be so powerful when we did that in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about the holiness of God? That's what I want to talk about today. Have you ever been in awe of the presence of the holiness of God around you or in your life? That's a powerful concept. I remember one of the first times that I ever sensed the holiness of God, I was seven years old. And uh, there was about 100 seven-year-olds, and I was one of them. We were lined up outside this huge cathedral, and we were going to make our first Holy Communion. So you had 50 guys and 50 girls and they're seven years old. We're all dressed up. Uh, the, the girls have white dresses on. The boys are dressed in white suits with a white tie. And everybody is standing there waiting in line with their hands folded in prayer. And you cannot hear a sound. Everybody is in complete awe of the moment that is about to happen. And we walked into the cathedral, 30-foot ceilings, we walk past these statues of biblical figures, then we come up to the altar, and there above the altar there's a crucifix with Jesus on it, and um, his, uh, you could see the crown of thorns. Uh, they even had uh, the blood coming down and the nails in his hands and his feet. And there is a priest there, and he's chanting and singing, and there's this table and an altar, and then on that table is the Eucharist and a gold chalice. And I was just in awe. I was kind of terrified, actually. I think all hundred of us were kind of uh, scared of this sacred moment that we were in. You know, I left that place. I completely forgot about it. I was seven years old. But I do, as I was recalling and thinking about the holiness of God and what we're going to talk about today, I was trying to remember the times in my life when I've sensed the presence and the holiness of God. I wonder what your experience is with the holiness of God. Now, what do we mean when we say holy, God is holy? Well, there's a good definition. It says here, even a dictionary definition, exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. You know, A.W. Tozer said this in The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, we know nothing like divine holiness. It stands apart. It's unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power, admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. God's holiness compared to us is so great, so vast. It's perfect. 
What Tozer is saying, with our finite mind, we can't even comprehend it. And when I began to study the holiness of God, it was a little bit troubling to me. Actually, if I, if I could be honest, this message was difficult to study, to apply into my own life, to live out. Because when I look into the holiness of God, into the real holiness of God, it's kind of troubling. It's kind of so awesome and so powerful. And when I think about that, the more I think about it, though, and the more I studied it, the more I realized, the more you look into the holiness of God, the more you experience his presence, the more it will transform your life. Chip Ingram said this, God is holy. He is other. He is different. In his difference, he is purely love, purely moral, and without sin. That's so unlike us, right? Even with his help, we will be overwhelmed by his majestic purity. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? And so when we look in the Bible and we study when God revealed his holiness to people, it's pretty exciting, it's pretty interesting, and it's, and it's really revealing. You know, I think about people who uh, experienced God's holiness. When you think about Moses, when he was approaching a burning bush, what was the first thing that God said to him? Take off your sandals, Moses. This is holy ground. And so Moses was struck with the holiness of God. And God was instructing him about his holiness. But I want to look at a person called Isaiah in the Bible. He's a prophet. He lived about 750 B.C. And he's called by God to be God's spokesman in a time and a period which is very difficult one in the life of the people of Judah. In Isaiah chapter 6, it starts off like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah is recalling a time in his life when he entered into the temple of the Lord. He enters into this temple, and it's the same year that King Uzziah has died. Now, what's so special about that? Well, during the time of King Uzziah, he was a king for 52 years. I mean, it'd be like having the same president since Lyndon Bain Johnson all the way up to the present time. That's a long time. You may not even know who President Johnson was. But it's a long time that this king has ruled, and he started out to be a great king. In fact, he did tremendous things in his lifetime. He built up an army of three, over 300,000 soldiers. He, ex, he expanded the territory of Judah so that its enemies were put out. And conquered. He built fortified cities and he built towers that uh, soldiers could shoot arrows off of and hurl large rocks with these devices that you see sometimes in the movies, right? But Uzziah, Uzziah, something happened to him. Something happened to King Uzziah. And it says it in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. See, he became king when he was 16 years old, and he started off very well. But at the end of his reign, something went terribly wrong. 
But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And what it says in the scripture here is Uzziah became full of himself. He got full of his accomplishments. He thought that he had done everything in his own strength and his power. And he, become, and he became unself-aware of who God was and who he was. And it's a dangerous place to be. And so he goes into the temple and he wants to burn incense, but he's not supposed to be in that temple. That's only a place to burn incense is only for the priests of uh, Judah to go into that temple and burn incense. They were from the tribe of Levi. And it says here in verse 17, Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They knew he was doing something wrong. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you've been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord your God. And so what does Uzziah do? How does he respond to this confrontation that he has with these priests, 80 priests, 80 courageous priests. I mean, Uzziah, King Uzziah, has unlimited power in the kingdom. He thinks he could walk into the temple and do whatever he wants now. He could probably even kill the priests. It says this, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy, broke out on his forehead. King Uzziah contracts leprosy, one of the most deadly diseases of the day. In fact, leprosy was always attributed to being unclean, unholy, full of sin. His blatant disregard for the things and the holiness of God had brought him severe consequences in his life. And so they take him out of the temple as fast as they can. And he willingly goes with them because he knows at this moment in his life, he has become full of sin and pride and brokenness. It says here in the Bible that later on, Uzziah has to leave the palace, go to another home and live by himself because He's ostracized because of his leprosy. And he dies a lonely man, bitter, angry, and never repenting of his sin. It's a sad commentary. But here it is, the contrast of that is Isaiah, the prophet. And it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six, six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so these seraphim angels are worshiping the Lord and Isaiah gets a glimpse of it. And just the hem 
the very end of the garment of the Lord comes into the temple and it fills it with smoke and fills it with glory and fills it with such presence of the holiness of God that Isaiah, that Isaiah is taken back by it. And these huge angelic creatures are covering their eyes because the glory and the holiness of God, they have to cover their eyes. And they cover their feet in humility. And yet they sing and they shout, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And so Isaiah is in the midst of this. And what happens? If you continue to read along, it says, As the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook the temple and it was filled with smoke. The temple is filled with the manifest presence of the Lord. The whole place is shaking. The doorposts are shaking. The ground is shaking and quaking. And Isaiah is probably on his face and, and just fallen down and just uh, totally overwhelmed by the presence and the holiness of God. And what does he say? What does he do? And it says, look here, it says, woe to me. It says in verse 5, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah's attitude is completely different than King Uzziah's. Isaiah's attitude is one where, whoa, I don't know what to do right now. Because I realize I'm sinful compared to a holy God. I have nothing. That is an amazing, amazing scene in the Bible. You know, I think we need to get back to the holiness of God. And gazing upon the holiness of God... And thinking about the holiness of God, I believe the church in America, we've gotten far away from the holiness of God, thinking about it, worshiping Him in holiness, understanding His holiness, even our behavior. Our culture is influencing us so much. And what we need to do is get back into the presence of the holiness of God. We need a revelation like Isaiah had in that temple. We need a revelation in our lives. And you know what? We have that revelation. We have that revelation written in the scripture. And we have uh, many revelations written in the scripture so that we could read them, that we could understand God's holiness, and so that he could instruct us in how to live a holy life, but also how to be into the presence of the holiness of God. You see, we can understand this in a deeper way. And even though Isaiah was undone by this time, I mean, he, it says he was ruined. That means I'm unraveled, I'm undone, I'm ruined. God doesn't leave him there, and God doesn't leave you and I there either. God doesn't want us to be scared of him. God doesn't want us to be so overwhelmed that we can't even uh, talk to him. And it says this 
In Isaiah chapter 6, 6 and 7 says, Then the one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And this idea of this angel, this seraphim, most biblical commentaries understand the seraphim connotes a burning one, God's ministering angels of fire. And so they come, that one comes, and it takes a live coal, and it touches Isaiah's lips. And we understand that the mouth is connected to the heart, and the heart is connected to the mouth. And Isaiah experiences atonement. He experiences God's forgiveness like only God can give. You see, fire often denotes the nature of God's holiness in the Bible. We talked about Moses and the burning bush. We also talked about the children of Israel. The children of Israel, at night, there was a pillar of fire that represented the presence of God that followed them and led them. The prophetic words of John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? Fire. And so the Holy Spirit... When the Holy Spirit comes, what happens? In the book of Acts chapter 2, it says, on each of the disciples was like tongues of fire that was on top of each of them, and they spoke in other tongues as God gave them utterance. So what had happened is it was a holy moment when God's manifest presence came among them, and they knew the holiness of God, and they began to sing the praises of God. They began to worship him. So all throughout the Bible, we see God manifesting his holiness. And sometimes he does it with fire. But whenever he does it, the response is humility and the response is worship to him. And God wants to bring us into that. You know, we usually compare our holiness to other people around us. Have you ever heard the phrase, Oh, he's acting holier than thou. Or who do you think you are? Holier than thou. And what we do is we compare our holiness to each other, and that's not at all what Isaiah does, and that's not all what God wants us to do. He wants us to look at his holiness, and he wants us to catch a glimpse and an understanding of his holiness and live our lives according to how he wants us to live. You know, Isaiah was forever changed from a man-pleaser to a God-pleaser. For the next 40 years, he's faithful to proclaim God's word and to, to follow in a holy way what God has called him to do. It's an amazing testimony of being in the presence of God and how it transforms you. A.W. Tozer says this, Only the spirit of the Holy One can impart to the human spirit the knowledge of the Holy. Only the spirit of God can impart to a person the knowledge of his holiness. God is outside the category that we can think of. That's why it was necessary for him to translate himself and come to us as Jesus Christ, both God and man. He embodied and expressed all the attributes of God, including his holiness. He was sinless. 
He became sin to cover us with his blood. To die for us. To atone for our sin. So that we might be able to be declared holy in his sight. Forgiven in his sight. But you know, we don't stop there. Positionally, God forgives us and he declares us not guilty. He justifies us. But we're to live a holy life. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. So our holiness is not only to God, but it's also to other people. We're to live at peace with other people. That's part of holiness. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then he goes on to say, Peter says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. See, God declares us holy, but he calls us to make every effort to live a holy life. I shared with you a sense of my first experience of the sacredness and the holiness of a ceremony that I was a part of when I was seven years old. But I needed to grow further in that experience. In fact, I didn't really know the Lord personally back then. I don't think I did. But after I gave my life to Christ at 18 years of age, I began to pursue the holiness of God. And I failed many times to do that. But I will tell you, there have been many, many times personally when I've experienced the blessing and the holiness of God. And he wants to reveal that to us. He wants us to pursue that type of life of holiness because he desires us to have the deeper life in Christ. There's been times right here in this church, uh, there's been times when the holiness of God has come down and been among us and empowered us. There's been times when we prayed for people and God's holiness and his presence has been there to heal. And there's been times when God has called people to come and follow him after they've been touched by him. There's been times when we've had a Holy Spirit day retreat and people have been touched by the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is what Tony Evans says. Do you want to see God work in your life? Do you want to experience answered prayer? Do you want God to deliver you to meet a need? Then pursue his holiness. Pursue a life marked by his, this attribute of his holiness. A life of peace, grace, kindness, contentment, purity, and forgiveness. God's desire for you is that you learn how to live as he is, holy. So what's our response to the holiness of God? I think the first response should be like Isaiah, awestruck, humility, and worship. Awestruck, humility, and worship. The holiness of God should humble us, make us thankful to God. If you have a growing and a deeping understanding of the holiness of God, then you'll discover more and more the wonderful plans and the confidence that you can have out of coming out of his presence. The Bible says that he's given us grace and confidence to approach his throne. And he calls us to do that. 
He wants us to be in his presence, not only in a church service, but also personally alone, just to be in his presence, silent, thinking about his holiness. In Revelation chapter 4, the apostle John gives us a glimpse similar to that of Isaiah. He says there were four living creatures with six wings singing around the throne of God. It's probably the seraphim, right? They're singing, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures fall down in worship, they lay their crowns before the 24 elders around the throne fall down in worship and lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. What is going on is heaven is people are in the presence of God's holiness and they're worshiping him. They're awestruck by the holiness and the character of God. You know, Jesus always instructed us to do that, when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, he said, he said, say this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the holiness of God. We're to pursue it. We're to pray for it. So God wants us to have awestruck humility and worship. And the second things he wants from us is to have a greater sense of his holiness and it will motivate us to serve him. Isaiah, it says this, when all this had happened, Isaiah hears a voice. He hears the voice of the Lord and when you're in the presence of the Lord in the presence of his holiness, if you will be quiet enough, you will hear him speak to you. Now he might remind you of a Bible verse, you might have a thought come into your mind that, wow, where did that come from? That came from the Spirit of God. But Isaiah heard a voice and he said, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And this is the response of Isaiah. He says, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me, Lord. Why? Because at that moment, Isaiah understood the highest, the greatest calling that he could have was to serve the one who is holy of all holies. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here am I. Use me. Here am I. Change me. Here am I. Teach me. Here am I. Fill me. Here am I. Send me. That's what God is calling us to do. That is what God is calling us to pray. That is what God had worked in Isaiah, but he can also work that in us as well. Isaiah was awestruck by the power and the presence of the holiness of God. Oh, don't we need that? Don't we need that more in our life? I'm thinking about this next year. When we come to this next year, the theme of our church is pursuing the deeper life. What does that mean? That means pursuing a holy life. Pursuing a holiness of God. Pursuing a deeper relationship with the Lord. And so when, when we enter into that in a deeper way, God can do amazing things in our life. You know, this passage that we looked at in Isaiah 6, it starts out, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. 
But maybe we could change that a little. And maybe we should. Maybe we could say in the year of COVID-19, in the year of political controversy, in the year of social unrest, in the year of global and personal struggle, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. He was on His throne. I sensed the presence of His holiness. And it made all the difference in the way I lived, in the way I acted, in the way I saw things. Let's pray. Father, we come before You. We're reminded of that hymn says, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning my song shall rise to you. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee. Casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, cherubim and seraphim falling down before you, you who was and are and is to come and evermore shall be. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. Lord, give us a desire to pursue your holiness, to pursue a deeper life with you. Lord God, open our eyes. We know as sinful human beings, we don't have the ability to understand your holiness, but we believe your Holy Spirit dwells in us and your Holy Spirit desires to reveal your holiness to reflect your holiness in our lives. So Lord, teach us, use us, send us. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus.